0: Hello, and welcome to The Writing Forge, where we discuss tips and tricks for honing your writing. I'm Bonnie. I'm Miranda. And we're your hosts. Let's Let's get get into it. it. Welcome back to The Writing Forge, everyone. Um, Today, we've got Kelly Lydic with us. And I'm super excited, because we're going to be talking about developmental editing cheers all around. Um, But first, Kelly, why don't you tell us uh, how you got to where you are in the writing world today? Sure.
1: And thank you so much, Bonnie Miranda, for having me on the show today. I'm really excited for our conversation. So, you know, I I always had loved to read as a child. And I I loved music and I loved art. I loved anything that was really creative. And as I found myself in school, I actually was a really poor English student. Not many people know that about me. (laughs) At one point I came home with a D in English and uh, yeah. Ooh,
0: you should put that on your just kidding. I know. <laughs> oh. I know,
1: but you know, as as time progressed and I went into college actually it was one one pr- one professor I wish I could remember her name but one in particular who really changed my mind and kind of the light bulb finally went on about grammar um which was my sticking point I could do the creative work but but it was really the grammar that that held me back and that changed when I got to college and so when I was debating my major I finally after after taking that class I said okay I'm just going to go for English cuz that's what I would really loved um, I love you know I love the the possibilities of language and I love the beauty of language um to try and uh, capture you know the human experience i think that's why i've always been drawn drawn to words and so i decided on uh creative writing and literature as my my major with a minor in music and psychology and i taught i taught i feel like that was a it's lot, a lot. <laughs> it was a lot it was a lot of work and then i i left the undergraduate environment and i i actually was teaching middle school um which was tough and also a little bit thankless, although I really have (laughs) um, a a desire, you know, to like help people and to, to foster their own creativity or to to show them different techniques and things. I always had had a sort of drive that way. And, but I almost left it behind because I thought for a minute, well, I was in this teaching environment and I wasn't really making a living the way that I wanted to do. And I thought, well, I'm really good at writing and I'm, I'm really good at language now after I'd taken that grammar class. Right. And <laughs> so I thought, well, I, maybe I should just go, go to law school and just use my language for something. And I thought, oh. So I debated that before, you know, it was either going to law school or going back and getting a master's in creative writing. And I I spent some time in between. Um, I worked for a little while at a law firm and I worked teaching English. At one point, I just finally thought, you know, I just still love the creative aspect. Of, of the arts and and being in that space of generating something new and synthesizing ideas, you know, sending messages to people that might help them think or see things in a different way. You know, there's, there's a strong communal aspect and a, a sort of communion that you do with people, even if you're not directly connected with them through either your writing or your art. And so I made the decision to go back and get a master's, and I I chose very specifically. I chose uh, creative writing and consciousness at the New College of California, which was really looking at you know how how does language impact the reader? Really looking through that lens, and then also you know who are you as a writer? Who who and and when you're analyzing text, who is that author as a writer? Right. That's the consciousness aspect of really looking at the psychology of what's behind the the larger message of any piece of writing, and so you know, I love that we're talking about developmental editing today, because I really feel like that particular approach really served me well in an editorial capacity. Because when we're looking at developing a concept or an idea, depending on where you know, a manuscript is at in its process, it could be just a seedling, right? Just this thought, oh, I want to write something about, um, you know, teaching in, um teaching as a second language or something, you know, they there comes a time where you have to like shape this content and that's really the larger scope of the developmental process you know you take this seedling and then you've got to nurture it <laughs> and let it grow into something that's digestible to the reader um and so having having the background in the writing and consciousness really was was helpful in in seeing writing and seeing language through you know different types of lenses i think
2: uh i think that's actually a really excellent segue um so First off, really quick because we're with two editors today. Let's let's go into um, just just really quick for our listeners in case they don't know. What is developmental editing and how is it different from copy editing and proofreading and stuff like that? I think we've covered this a little bit before, but let's let's go over it again just as a quick refresher.
0: And I'll I'll let you answer Kelly because I probably have talked about it, but I will just say I feel like this is one of my major jobs as an editor is helping writers understand the different levels of editing and and so forth. Yeah. So, but what's yeah, your take? I think
1: especially with first-time authors you know they're they're not necessarily looking at their work from an editorial scope and that's why they're hiring someone which is important um it's important to have that lens as i was saying you know the difference between the author and their expertise and the editor and then the audience i really see developmental editing and content editing as sort of two separate phases i look at developmental editing as really again, looking at the seedling, starting from a concept, maybe an outline even, and developing the content itself and how to shape it. And think about what the scope is in terms of what a final book will look like to the reader. Um, when we get into content editing, you know, I think that that comes in maybe a little bit further down the line, when some of the writing has some meat to it, and you really have more of the the chapter order per se fleshed out and and a little bit more of what you're going to be talking about, you may make some organizational changes when you do some content editing, but you're not really starting the writing process, right? Like I feel like the developmental editing comes in when you're really generating, it's a generative process, whereas the content editing is really more of an editorial process. And when you're in the development phase, you're really working closely with the author or the expert to shape their content in such a way that they're really conveying that message, you know? So I feel like the developmental editing is a really, really critical part when you're looking at what is what is the final you know kind of takeaway or the overarching takeaway of a book especially in non-fiction you know for for the reader and so later on down the line once those pieces are put together and your content editing is done then you're really looking at the line editing right which is more narrowly focusing the tone and looking at the sentence structure in terms of you know how does it sound if it's smooth to the author does it have you know, breaks in it that seem choppy? Does it make sense? Are we having tangential paragraphs? That's more of the copy editing phase. And then the proofreading comes in. I really see that at the very, you know, kind of last stage where we're just looking for egregious typos. Um, I often like to do proofreading after the design, at least for the self-publishing offer, authors, after the the design phase is complete, at least the first phase of design, because if you can can proofread at that last phase, you're really looking at how that book is going to be put out into the world. Um, and that's an important phase that you can't really, <laughs> you can't really skip, right? Um, that's where you shouldn't, yeah, you shouldn't. Some people do perhaps, um, but but I don't think that you should um, because, you know, things slip through you know you'd be surprised how many even if even if you're a great editor and you've looked at a manuscript multiple times you know there is a phenomenon in the brain that once you've looked at content x amount of times like it you really don't you don't see the errors anymore even if they actually are there
0: yeah because your brain is so good at that's right that's exactly
1: right so so i see them really as you know kind of four distinct phases um i love working at the developmental stage i feel like that's for me that's really exciting i like working closely with the authors to really shape their content and shape. their scope. Um, What I see a lot, you know, especially with with some of the folks who are, are real experts in their field, and they're working to put together a nonfiction manuscript, there's a lot of scope issues, you know, that you run into at the developmental edit phase. And especially for first time authors too, it seems like what I see a lot is that they want to put together maybe multiple manuscripts or their ideas are so big that they can't pare it down. And I look at something that they've sent to me. I'm like, this could be four separate books, you know? And and so that part of it, really helping to define the scope of the work and and move it through so that you can come up with an outline really is crucial, I think, at the at the very beginning. Very beginning. But I see it a lot, you know?
0: Well, and I wonder if there's a little bit of a difference between fiction and nonfiction as well. I was just thinking it's important to note that like these definitions and the boundaries between the types of editing are definitely fluid and it'll change based on the editor or the publishing house or whatever. Because um, I think what I, I often call what you call content editing development developmental editing, but I almost exclusively work with fiction and usually they come to me um, with a more finished thing. If not, then I do what I call a manuscript evaluation, which I think is essentially what you're calling developmental editing. I, I guess the one thing that maybe that shouldn't, that doesn't really change is proofreading because if you look at the definition of the word, it's it's reading the proof. So yeah, it should be after layout is finished and- A final
1: A final so look. Forth, yeah. But, you know, I feel like yeah. with developmental editing though versus content editing, I think it does it is a little bit different when you're working with fiction versus nonfiction, and you're and you're trying to look at how the plot points follow through from start to finish, and really looking at what is going to be the reader's, you know, suspension of disbelief, which is always what we're striving for when we're looking at fiction, not necessarily uh, nonfiction with with an expert. I feel like that's a really good rule
2: of thumb for authors when you're looking for an editor. Talk with them for a little bit and see, because a lot of times, like, get a sample of what something is, take a look at their website, see what they describe a developmental edit as or a content edit as, see see what their definitions are, and make sure that both of you are on the same page before moving forward, because I feel like a lot of... I, I feel like I've heard about a lot of authors in the community who paid for a developmental edit because it was cheaper and then got angry because there was no grammar edits that had been made and it's like well that's not what you paid for and so like i really really want to urge writers like know what you're getting and know what you're paying for and like and don't try to cheat the system like (laughs) come on guys
0: well and i i always tell (laughs) them i always tell writers like get a sample edit you can either sometimes editors pay charge you for them sometimes they'll do it for free sometimes like you said you maybe you can get a sample of their editing on something else but like yeah exactly get um a look at what exactly they're going to the type of thing that they're going to be doing
1: before you sign a contract which you should, you always, should always sign, always a, sign contract. a contract there yes. should always be in mm-hmm. the scope if there is not a contract run away yeah. the scope <laughs> should be defined in that contract too although i do see the manuscript evaluation i see that as like a separate piece i sometimes do that and i'll give like a three to five page report where someone yeah yeah someone comes thing. to me with a manuscript that's finished and i'm just looking at it to say, you know, here here are some of the holes, here are some gaps, you know, this is where the tone gets a little bit choppy, you know, shore up your conclusion a little bit better. Those types of things usually come in the manuscript evaluation versus the developmental, which is really early on and again it's really very generative, I think, when the author is still in the writing phase of of figuring out, you know, what am I doing with this book? Okay, so for both of you, why is developmental
2: editing important? Like from I, I want to hear your answer at the end. Go, go ahead. ahead no, you okay. go
0: ahead. <laughs> I want to
1: hear your answer first.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think it's like what you're saying. It's it's getting the big picture sorted out. And it's always good to have an outside perspective. And you can get, you should you should also definitely have like a critique group and other people that are reading it um, to give you the outside perspective. And the benefit of, of like hiring a developmental editor is that they have the experience, like you can like writers groups are great but like I, I I think I've quoted this before but there was a, a line from Dan Wells he said somewhere where it's like it's a miracle that any writers group actually produces <laughs> writing that's because because everyone has to start somewhere and if you have a bunch of beginning writers in one place giving each other advice you know you gotta you gotta build on it but it's, it's
2: kind of an echo chamber yeah, exactly. of people who have the same level of experience yeah so so, so
0: that's why it's good to go and get a a different outside perspective. I mean, get as many outside perspectives as you can. Yeah, so, and and, and to to sort it out, I mean, it's certainly a lot easier if you can sort out the big picture, if it's fiction plot and character arcs, or if it's nonfiction, then outline, you know, like conclusion intro. If you do that before you write it, then it'll be a lot easier to write it and you won't have to do as much uh, revision later
1: on. So, Yeah, and I think too, you know, the developmental editing is really about helping at least in my role as, as I've served other authors like it's really about helping them and kind of coaching them through the process of shaping the focus and the scope of the content and in some ways you know I really think that a, a developmental editor can sort of be a liaison between the author and the audience in the shaping of that content as you're mm-hmm. working through it and you almost have to play like this anticipatory role and think about how the audience is going to receive that content and what is the best approach? You know, when I start a, a first initial consult with an author and a dev edit, the first thing I ask is like, who is your target market? You know, especially like in nonfiction. If it's if it's fiction, I'll ask them, you know, like, what is your genre? Which is kind of the same thing. But with nonfiction, we're really looking at, at a target market. And that's that's the audience. You know, it's it's an age demographic. It's a lifestyle demographic. You know, we're looking at that and we're anticipating what would that type of audience relate to? And how will they best receive this message? It always comes back to like that one line or that one, you know, your elevator speech. What is your book about? Your log line, even, right? If you're if you're writing fiction, we translate that one one sentence into your your screenwriting log line because it really sort of summarizes the the larger message. And so the approach and the sp- scope are really really important in order to get that message across and through that developmental edit if you're really working on shaping the content that's where you get to dig in you know kind of in the foundational level with the author and and help make them or help them make what i meant to say is help them make decisions that will propel the work forward in a really really great way that will be well received by the audience
0: yeah i really like that point about i i, I really feel like like that that is what an editor is supposed to do is be the liaison between the, the writer's brain and the reader's brain, right? Like, my job is to say, hey, like, this probably makes perfect sense in your head, but something has gotten lost along the way. And so we need to fill in the gaps because, because once you put a book out there, you, you, you as the author can't come into the reader's house and be like, well, this is what I meant. Like, it has to stand on its own. (laughs) I I feel like that's always the problem. One of the things in critique groups is like, you might feel like you need to, like if you've read something out and your your critique group members are like, oh, but what is this? And like, you explain it. And it's like, you can't do that once the book is out there. So if they're asking the questions, like they might be wrong about what is wrong, but if they're asking the questions, it means something isn't clear and you have to figure it out. And an editor Mm -hmm. can help you do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I think, too, you know, for an author who's looking for a prospective editor and or maybe interviewing or getting samples, gathering samples to see if kind of their styles sync up, sometimes it's not always the best thing to hire someone who knows something about your content, believe it or not. So f- hmm. for me, yeah, like yeah. one time, I'm, I'm thinking of one project in particular where I was helping someone with a nonfiction IT book, and it was just so technical that I really didn't know the content. And it and I, turned out that I was the best editor for it because I knew the right questions to ask for sort of the lay person who was going to be receiving it. And that really fleshed out the entire manuscript. And the author was incredibly happy. And the book did well, you know, so sometimes it's not always trying to find someone who really loves romance, if you're writing a romance as your editor, um, or (laughs) finding some some genre and in the nonfiction expertise, but but pairing with someone who's going to ask the right questions.
0: And and ask them in the way that makes sense to you as well. I I often say, like, the writer-editor relationship is a lot like finding the the client-therapist relationship. Like, you have to find a good personality match as well as expertise and and so forth. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And communication. Communication is key, you know. Conveying what, what needs to be conveyed and what questions need to be asked. And remaining objective, too, you know. You have to remain very objective when you're looking at the work.
0: Did you have anything you wanted to add from the author side, Miranda?
2: From the author side, I mean, that that all sums it up pretty well. Um, the only thing that I will add is sometimes it's so nice, uh, especially if you're like me and you get lost in the details, mm-hmm. it's so nice to have someone else be able to take like a step back and and not be as in love with your darlings as you are and be able (laughs) to point out like, okay, no, this needs help, this needs that. I think um, one of my short stories, actually, uh, you edited edited, edited it for me, (laughs) Bonnie, Um, and a long time ago in a land about 20 miles away from here. Um, And and, uh, I, I think the thing that had startled me the most about that is you were like, there's no ending. And I was like, yeah it does, because it, it ends. Stops. I said the end. And you were like, Yeah, that's not that's not a real ending. And so Um, and so then I was able to go back and write a satisfactory conclusion and, and then that is what got it into that anthology. But that I thought it ended, I thought it was perfectly logical and yeah, for, for someone else to be able to point out, that's not what you think it is, (laughs) which is essentially just rehashing what you guys already said. But it's, it's so nice to be able to like, and it helps you feel less alone, Mm -hmm. like, Too like even even if it's someone that you're paying to help you out like it's it's really nice to have someone else like take a look at your book and and see what you're trying to say and and be like okay you're not making it because here's how you do it better Um, because most authors know like most authors know they're not hitting it just right. Even whether it's a niggling feeling in the back of their brain, whether it's, you know, they, they, they know something is wrong. Very, the, the few well,
0: authors I mean, just by default, you can't write anything perfectly. The you, first you, time.
2: <laughs> you can't write anything perfectly, but there's, there's that frustration of like, of, I know I'm close and I know, like, I don't know why it's wrong. <laughs> and then having someone be able to like, look at it and be like, this is why it's wrong. So that is just, it's helpful. It's so nice. It's like,
1: Thank you, you guys, for the service you provide for us. <laughs> well, it's so hard to be objective, you know, for your own work. I know even in my own writing, you know, it's it's similar to what you're saying. It's just you get too close to it or you're emotionally involved and you just you have to be able to take a step back in some way. And sometimes it's really hard to do. And an editor is is really critical for that.
0: And hopefully they do it in a in a nice way like that's I feel like sometimes people are afraid of editors and 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 it can be hard like I have I have a client that I've worked with for like three or four years now and she even still she's like every time I get your edits back at first I'm like oh I thought I was gonna doing so much better this time I thought maybe it would be perfect this time and she's like and I just have to sit on it for a little bit and and come back and and then I'll realize okay yeah that that's a good point I, I should have noticed that you know so
2: um and very rarely are edits a judgment of you as a person yeah Yeah. i think i think that's kind of what it's hard to sometimes separate (laughs) so like that's that's definitely something that yeah i still need to take into account it's like it's not it's not you it's just helping make this the best work that it can be that's right in
0: one person's opinion that's right again people aren't always right i always tell them don't Please don't do every single thing I say because then it will be my book yeah. and not yours. Yeah,
1: and it's hard too. I think you know when you think of sort of the vastness of language and how many different ways you can approach a given topic. That that's also why it's key to have an editor to kind of help you, you know, make go through that decision process and and make a decision of which which approach do you want to take. You know, it's infinite essentially, and which is why it's so for me at least. That's why it's, it's exciting to be in that creative space. You can kind of just pull from anywhere. Um, but once you once you decide on something you have to really carry it through so it's helpful to have an editor for that as well
2: all right so we have we have developmental editor so i have a book okay. idea okay I have is, a book
0: is, this, I, is this real or are you we're, giving us a role play right now? Uh-huh. Kind
2: of a role play. Okay, okay. So I have I have a book idea. Um, I decide to go with a developmental editor. I have three quarters of mm-hmm. an outline. Or would it be better to have a manuscript before going to a developmental editor? But I go to a developmental editor and I ask for feedback. How do I then use that feedback? And what is better for fiction authors to go to a developmental editor with? And what is better for a nonfiction author to go to a developmental author with I assume for nonfiction it would probably be at the proposal right or would it
0: or would it be at a further outline well I mean it depends on if you're Mm self-publishing or traditional publishing it does Um, I would say with traditional nonfiction publishing you would you'd need to do it before like before you correct yeah when you're working on a proposal, yeah, whatever, you'd have right? to
1: you'd have to have at least. I mean, if you were going to approach a traditional publisher, you would need a proposal and at least several sample chapters. So, if and my thinking is like, if you're going to have the sample chapters, you might as well have the book, you know, because you're you're just carrying it through anyway. You had to have done some kind of content shaping just to get those initial chapters anyway. Um, but on the you know on the fiction side, it's really about you know the plot points and the character. I always say you know on the nonfiction we're always thinking about three things it's your title to anchor it the message the bigger message your topic whatever that's going to be what are you talking about and your target audience and if you can get those three things in sync at the developmental phase then you can carry the writing of the manuscript on the fiction side it's really more about you know deciding on your plot points and your character which is sometimes tricky because when you're in the midst of fiction writing right Sometimes those characters, I think when you're really in that flow of creation, they're kind of taking on the life of their own, you know? So you may have your outline, you may have your plot points down for your fiction book. And then all of a sudden you're writing this scene and the character does something that's like, you know, so unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. Even for, for the author, which seems kind of strange to say that because it's like, you're, you're creating it, but, but in a way, you know, these, these characters, they kind of take on their own trajectory. And so with that in mind on the developmental side, you have to be a little bit flexible because oftentimes there that will that to me kind of signals when the manuscript is is really doing its job right for the for the reader is when it can when you can get into that flow of sort of letting it letting it take you <laughs> too so uh, a little bit different for for fiction and non, you know but with the same goal in mind. So so how do you get the
2: most out of a developmental edit? Is it is it just solidifying those things? Is it do you work with the developmental editor to like lay out the nitty gritty or so like say you have like major plot points are you then working with a developmental editor to get like the subplot points or um i guess yeah how how do you make the most of a developmental edit well
0: it doesn't directly answer your your sub questions there but i think the biggest the most important thing is to have an open mind Mm. and um be willing to consider the suggestions and an open-minded two senses of the word, like not just I'm willing to accept critical feedback, but also I'm willing to synthesize the critical feedback and make something of it myself. Because it's like it's the two line. I don't want someone uh, to just reject. I mean, I don't care if they've paid me whatever, but if they just reject everything I've said, then why did they pay me? Mm-hmm. But if they just accept everything that I said, then
2: also, then then you know. You feel like you're having too much of an influence on it. Yeah, I
0: mean, I'm not a right. ghostwriter, right. right? Like,
1: yeah, and I think sometimes that can that can be a thin line. I guess the way that I try to think of it in my mind is is when I'm in that developmental role, I'm really sort of like walking the author side by side through the journey of writing, and so I'm giving them feedback and letting them rewrite. And it's it's sort of this like this feedback loop where there's a little bit of recursiveness to it. You know, I'm giving the feedback, they're rewriting, they're sending me the rewrite, I'm giving them more feedback, kind of until we make our way until the end you know and sometimes with with that you can have an outline and and you can deviate you know you deviate midstream and that's okay too as long as it serves again going back to that title topic target audience or you know, that one one sentence plot summary of, of the, the greater message of your fiction work. I think if you can anchor those things and always kind of go back to that as your guidepost, then even if you have to change direction a little bit midstream, then, you know, you can still make it through and still have a strong message for your audience. Sometimes the writing process is just scary though. You know, there's so many unknowns. (laughs) I think when people ask me like, how do you overcome writer's block? You know, it's like, well, I don't know that I get writer's block. I think I get like page paralysis where, you know, you're feeling, yeah, you're feeling like overwhelmed, but you know, as long as you can, can move through that and, and not let that, Stand in the way, then I think you're okay. Unfortunately, oh, we are no. all out of time <laughs> for today. Uh,
2: no, we could talk about for this for a long time. long time. Well, we're gonna have to have more editing episodes. Yeah.
1: So, um, but thank you so much for joining us oh, today, Kelly. I'm so glad to be here, and it's so glad to talk with you. And I hope you know that all of all the listeners are are able to learn something, and hopefully this is helpful to them when they're going through their writing process and choosing choosing the right editor for their content.
0: Um, so, our question for our listeners. We were talking about, you know, we talked about the importance of, of having identified your your target audience and title and topic, or your plot and character, your your log line. What for what you're working on right now, you know, what what is your what is your log line? What is your elevator pitch? Uh, share it with us, and we'll we'll let you know how it sounds on our socials. Stay sharp, my friends.
2: We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Writing Forge, a Writing Heights podcast brought to you by Nikano Press, post-production by Luke William Productions. To learn more about The Writing Forge, check out our social links in the episode description. Subscribe to The Writing Forge wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to
1: rate and review. For more informational writing content, be sure to become a Writing Heights member.